Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship! That reminds me, uh, sorry, I'm like spurring my own thoughts. Uh, it reminds me of like the old wrestling days of like, Do you smell what the rock is cooking? I never watched much WWE. Yeah, well, I didn't either, but the rock was kind of a star. That was your favorite? Obviously. Uh, I, no, I didn't really watch wrestling. I just, he was... He was like an A-list celebrity, man. That's how he got to he be. He still is. He, well, he's more so now, but that all started with, you know, fake wrestling. I think I saw a show coming out, uh, maybe on Hulu or something, that is like, it's like a... Oh, The Young Rock. A dramatized yeah, yeah, version yeah, yeah. of his life It's like Young Sheldon, but for The Rock or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is watch. a weird... I'm not going to watch. Oh, not a single minute. <laughs> no, it looks it looks unwatchable. Yeah. <laughs> so. There's so many of those like coming out. There's one on Mike Tyson I just saw that came out. Mike Tyson? They did a Mike Tyson. Young Mike? Young Mike. Or, uh, or uh, like a dramatization of his life. I think that was a Hulu. You remember, did you ever play, you're too young to, did you ever play um, uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? No. The old Nintendo game? No. Nope. Oof. It's like, it's like first-person shooter, but first-person boxer. You kind of have like a vague silhouette of you and like kind of back to you on the screen and then punching like straight ahead or whatever and you do the boxing moves we're past that now dude there are people now you can literally do that uh, in dude, virtual I'm telling you, i bet you i bet you people like let's see andrew hickson wes sullivan i bet i bet wes was i bet wes has won like tournaments of mike tyson's punch out oh that's a crown rebecca i don't think wes listens to us but Re- rebecca if you're listening you'll have to confirm or deny that for me yeah quite an achievement yeah, anybody in their uh, mid to late thirties and then early forties is is gonna be Adam. I bet Adam probably didn't play, but he probably loves it. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> I don't think Adam was a big video game guy, was he? I I don't have a clue, and neither does our audience. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm getting. Uh, <laughs> I try to make this feeling good, very. Dis- I feel like uh, you're being very dismissive here. I'm the Mike Tyson punch out conversation here. has run its course. Sounds yes, like yes. The amount of insider information gets uh, tossed around here tighter and tighter. I apologize. Mm-hmm. What's what up, you, dude? Uh, How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. Thanksgiving coming Th- up. Thanksgiving next week. Yep. Yes. It's exciting. Um, first one with a baby, first grandchild in my family. Sure. So that's big. It's a big deal. Yeah. We went to the doctor yesterday, and the doctor said, do not let anyone give him any food. He's too young. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of said it like he was a dog or something, like, don't feed the dog. Kinda, yeah. You know? Well, it, it's actually pretty insightful because I've seen this where, like, granddads will be holding the baby. Feeding like a, him, like, candy corn or something? Yeah, they just don't, you know, let, let's, like, dads aren't real intuitive. Let's, let's granddads, just, are granddads are really not intuitive about non-intuitive. Right? <laughs> so my dad, there was a time where my dad was feeding, like, a tortilla chip to an infant, <laughs> like, grandson. And my sister-in-law, we were at a Mexican restaurant, and she's like, she's like, um, she's, like, real sweet and uh-huh. soft-spoken. And, and, um, and like, she, she's like, um, Papa, 
could you could, like, could you stop like Papa? That it's like, dude, like you're not supposed to feed a tortilla chip to a kid till they're like three. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he didn't and, go uh, for like the mashed potatoes. He went straight for the. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It wasn't the, like he was feeding for the a hard queso. shell. <laughs> not even a soft tortilla. Yeah, that is hilarious. Yeah, it's funny. Well, my my nephew Cameron lived through it, so that's good. Good for him. He's now he's now in college, so yeah, he, he survived. Yeah. Anyway, well, what are we doing today? Um, we're, we're, we are trafficking in my area of specialty. <laughs> uh, second and so? third century Christian letters, yes, or something like that. <laughs> um, non-biblical epistles or extra-biblical epistles, I should say, not non-biblical. Just letters from Christians. Letters from saints of old to other. Saints of Potential old. saints. Potential saints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're jumping. We're taking a break from our little Abraham thing we've been doing because I'm not ready to tackle the next couple chapters. <laughs> I need more time um, to to think through them, which I haven't had a lot of time. Caleb's to think never through. read Genesis 16, 17, 18. It's new to him. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah. It's my first reading. So, uh, and we may have a special guest to talk about those. Um, that you'll find oh, out soon. Yeah. That's specifically what we're trying to do. Yes. We're trying to have a guest to come talk through the next couple cha- chapters of Genesis and Abraham, particularly Abraham Covenant, with us. Um, so we're taking a break for a second, and it's the end of my semester, so I'm kind of swamped. It's pretty funny. You know how like you say things and it triggers like movies and songs and cultural things? Like In your yeah. last like minute or 30 seconds of talking, you've... L- <laughs> you've you've like used two titles of like Ham- songs from the play Hamilton, and so these songs like you say it, and they're the you, titles of songs, and I love Hamilton. they're triggering in my head, and I'm just like he's got to stop naming you know, songs. From I think like you things. should write a pamphlet for pastors of all the sermon <laughs> illustrations from Hamilton. Whatever it is, no, I'm just saying like I I'm just. I'm, I'm the gospel according to Hamilton by James. I'm trying to not take us off the rails with these things, you know. But you keep—it's like you're baiting me. I feel like you've done this on purpose or something. I've, I've done everything <laughs> in the opposite of on purpose for you to bring up. Okay, that sorry. Stuff. Okay, so we're talking about a letter. Yeah, we're from, taking, uh, we're taking uh, a brother a from another mother. Whew. Yep, a a brother, not by blood, but by faith. Um, I thought it would be cool to talk through one of my favorite pieces of literature in church history, Um, a very short little letter that's from the second century. Uh, Let's be clear. It's a short book. It's a long letter. (laughs) It's a long letter. We could have picked picked stuff a lot longer. Yeah, sure. I'm just Um, saying, like, if anybody else received this letter, they'd feel like, oh, that's pretty long. Well, people probably don't like my letters then. Yeah, it's like... 14 pages. It's 12 chapters. It's 12 chapters, but that's like paragraphs. Um, but I wanted to talk about this in the midst of, we didn't, me and James didn't really broach the this cultural swirl around the election and uh, kind of political discourse and any of that sort of stuff There's in the election? last couple of weeks. There was an election. There was lots of elections that. around the country. And just the whole storm that comes with that and how Christians posture themselves in politically tense and environments and cultural kind of uh, steam pots of a lot of issues coming up. Um, 
uh, we, we've talked about that kind of stuff before at different times on this podcast, really I, around certain times. I think we've mostly resolved all the issues out there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and we always come back to how do we stay consistently Christian in our witness and in our integrity and uh, in our uh, evangelism and apologetic um, in the midst of our culture and when it gets tense politically. And uh, I thought it would be cool to look at the, the posture or kind of appeal of a Christian in the second century. And if you don't know what the second century, that's the years 100 A.D. to 200 A.D. So Jesus and the apostles, they were first century, kind of 1 A.D. to 99 A.D. And so the second century is kind of the, second, the, the next century after the Jesus and the apostles and the, the birth of the church and those sorts of things. And it, of course, was a super tense time and uh, um, kind of culture, both for Rome in general, the Roman Empire in general, and for Christians particularly, who are this new kind of strange people on the scene who are causing a bunch of uproar because of their who they are and their practices and their beliefs. And, um, and yet they were extremely crazy evangelistic, like in a very, very unique way in history. Um, and so you get a lot of uh, we have a lot of literature from different figures in the second century who are Christians uh, that's apologetic. And what I mean by that is they're not sitting there kind of writing apologetics books to, to think through all the questions they may have about Christianity. More it's their documents that they wrote to non-believers that explain who they are and why they believe what they believe. Um, because they were both fighting for their life and they were sincere in wanting to evangelize the non-Christian world around them. Um, so we just have a lot of that um, in the second century. And uh, one of those, uh, on the shorter side, but in my opinion, probably my favorite um, in terms of bang, bang for your buck, is a little letter called the Epistle to Diognetus. Um, we don't know who the author is. We're, we're not sure who wrote it. Um, there's speculation, but there's nothing. You can't. You can't say anything, and the, the text doesn't tell you. The, the author refers to him one time, as a, one time in the letter to himself as a disciple. So a lot of times people call him methetes because that's the Greek word for a disciple. Um, but we don't know who wrote this little letter. Um, but well, he, it, Go it, ahead. There's also a, uh, not just a disciple, but he says specifically towards the end, uh, having been a disciple of the apostles. Mm -hmm. I come forward as a teacher to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, we just, I think we just lose that kind yes. of thing. Like the idea that in some way this man is identifying himself and he would chronologically, second century, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, he would be, you know, do, do they know where this was written? Like what area? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, like it's just interesting to think about the the apostles not just as these sort of almost not human figures of old that yeah. I don't like it's these were people and they engaged with other people and mm -hmm. they taught and passed down the teachings of Jesus and the, they discipled people they discipled people. and then those people discipled like, people yeah so I, it's just fascinating to think that this would be the testimony to the gospel and to the truth in the second century of a person who would have been a direct descendant spiritually yes. of yes. the apostles yes and big a apostles for sure right um, so this disciple, he decides he wants to write a letter to his uh, 
companion, Diognetus, who's not a Christian, who's kind of interested and curious, but also like deciding if Christians are evil or whack. Um, he wants to write to this person who... It's important to know that that, that word whack comes actually from this letter. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> That's my message version of... Uh, uh, Every once in a while, like, you're, you're, you're so funny because you've got all the, the theological, you know, acumen and, and nomenclature and all the verbiage and all that stuff. And then every once in a while, you'll, like, just slip in a current slang term, like, in the yeah, midst yeah. of all your other uh, sophisticated language. That always, in, that always entertains me. I don't know if I should do more of that or less of that. Slightly more would be good. Okay. I don't think you want to pepper the landscape too much, <laughs> but I do think an occasional slip okay. in there is... So my homeboy Mathetes, <laughs> well, yeah, like was writing you, some rhymes to his listen, boy. You listen, for instance, to rap growing up, right? And then I high still school do. and stuff. Still do. So yeah. I, I think occasionally, if you would, I remember there was a, a, a <laughs> there's a particular guy. I won't name him, but a, a guy, a British guy, who used to speak at a number of conferences and events, and it was always funny to me because he would, he's like this middle-aged white British guy, and he would often, almost every time he spoke, he would quote like some some 90s or early 2000s like hip hop song like at length or whatever mm-hmm. or like he like a familiar song that he would he oh. would break into he wouldn't sing it he would quote it with his accent and everything and it would just always crack me up i think you could pull that off i'll i'll work on it in my spirit yeah. in my in my repertoire yeah drop in like a a little uh i don't know dmx or something like that every once in a while <laughs> that's old school <laughs> Yeah, it's probably too old school for you. I mean, I know DMX, but yeah. that, my 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 generation was like Drake and Lil Wayne. Yeah, okay. Sort of well, drop in some of those guys then. I'd rather not. <laughs> okay, drop it's in not some, edifying. Drop in some Diognetus then. I would. I would. Right. He, now he's he's edifying. The epistle to Diognetus. So he writes. So this disciple writes this letter to his friend Diognetus, and uh, in in attempts to persuade him to become a Christian and kind of explain what Christians are about. Um, and this is how he starts the letter. He says, Since I see, most excellent Diognetus, that you are exceedingly anxious to understand the religion of Christians, and that you inquire respecting them are distinctly and carefully made as to what God they trust and how they worship him, that they all disregard the world and despise death, and take no account of those who are regarded as gods by the Greeks." Neither observe the superstition of the Jews, and as to the nature of the affection which they entertain one to another, and of this new development or interest which has entered into men's lives now and not before. I gladly welcome uh, this zeal in you, and I ask of God, who supplies both the speaking and the hearing to us, that it may be granted to myself to speak in such a way that you might be made better by the hearing." And to you that you may so listen that I, the speaker, may not be disappointed. Okay, so he likes big sentences. He's, he he loves Paul, and so I think he uh, he he copies that a little bit. He loves these big, long kind of run-on sentences. Um, but so he so he's basically saying you've noticed all of these kind of strange things in Christians that they uh, are the way they care about each other, the kind of worship they engage in, all these sorts of things. I want to explain that to you, and I want to basically invoke and trust God, who provides both the speaking and the hearing. I think that's a really th- cool thing that he said. Mm-hmm. Like, I trust that God's going to help me speak the words of life to you. And I trust that God will provide the hearing to you for mm-hmm. you to understand them. That, that's a really beautiful thought that he's kind of invoking from the beginning. 
Yeah, and I, I think even just the posture, like, you know, a lot of times content is obviously very instructive for mm-hmm. us. But oftentimes, and I think this is sometimes undervalued even in like Paul's writings and so forth, that there's the content that we are, we take great pains to, to understand and parse out and study and all that, which is right and good. But oftentimes it's the approach as well that's instructive for us. And like, he's really honoring of this guy. Yeah. Like there's this real respect and honoring of the curiosity yeah, the sort of intellectual integrity yeah. with which this guy is sort of curious about Luke understanding writing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I really like. I, I think that's helpful for us that it's like he's discerned in this person honest questions. For Francis Schaeffer, we always talk about how he, you know, he, he thought that Christians owed honest answers and engagement mm-hmm. with people who have honest, hard yes. questions about the deepest things, and and um, and that's a, a really critical part of Christian witness. Mm-hmm. And I think. I think this letter writer is demonstrating that, that here's this person who doesn't know how to make sense of what Christianity is in the second century. He sees that it's distinct from or different from. He's trying to understand it. And, and I think he's, he's affirming that, acknowledging that, honoring it, respecting it, and then responding to it, obviously. But it's right and good that we find ways to build up and honor and incur, like to give this kind of respect, I think, to outsiders, as it were, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. wherever possible. And he doesn't discount the supernatural element of what he's doing as well. Yeah. Right? So yeah, he, yeah. He, he's, he want, he's going to be extremely, like, talk about content and intellect and those sorts of things. Yeah. But he starts by framing in, we need both God to help me speak and for you to hear. Right. I think he, he's not willing to put those things in conflict with each other, which is, I think, a, a really good posture. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that in our naturalistic sort of age, mm-hmm. we struggle to put forth. Yeah. We almost try to, a lot of times, a lot of Christians try to maybe suppress that aspect of things, maybe sneak that in the back door yeah. somewhere. And we'll he bring leads, that up later. Yeah, he leads with it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, so we're kind of we're kind of kind of jump around and focus on one or two aspects of this letter, but I just want to, as we go through tell you how he lays it out. So in the first couple paragraphs after his introduction to Diognetus, he, he starts with critiquing both pagan approaches to worship and what they think about gods and to uh, Jewish um, current understandings or ways in which they've missed the boat on worshiping God now that Christ has come. Um, it, it almost... When you read it, it sounds almost like Isaiah 44, <laughs> mm. where Isaiah, it's like he's basically Smashing restating the, the, the arguments of, of Isaiah, which is how can you call something a God that really is a piece of wood and, can't, and is insensible and can't talk and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. He really, it, honestly, he had to be familiar with Isaiah, and I'm sure that's a, that was a common argument from Christians. Yeah, even the idea that. that you, like, you're trusting in a God presumably to protect you yes. that you yourself are having to protect. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the integrity of this mm-hmm. idol or whatever. Yeah. So he starts with that kind of uh, uh, critique of polytheism and idol worship mm-hmm. um, that's so central to the Christian message, which is monotheism. Like the foundation of our faith and who we believe God is starts with monotheism. Mm-hmm. And um, so he starts there. And, uh, and then he starts critiquing some, some Jewish approaches that he thinks are um, irrelevant now that Christ has come and trying to uh, push the ball forward and what Christ has revealed. And what's distinct about this, um, this whole approach, and this gives you a bigger insight into second century Christianity, is 
So the Romans are hearing this message from Christians at large. Now, there was monotheism in the world. Jewish people were all over the Roman Empire. Sure. So it's not like they didn't know that was a thing. Here's the difference between Jews and Christians at this point. Jews were not evangelistic yeah. in the empire. They were not evangelistic at all. They, they was like, we do our thing, and, they let it, and they're going to let us do our thing, and, and they do their thing. Yeah. Christians come on the scene, and they start like proselytizing, no, guys, going into the temples of pagan gods and saying, this isn't real. Mm-hmm. This is idol worship. So that's the difference between Jews and Christians at this time is they're, they're wanting to take that message actually and put it on the ground in larger society, which is just absolutely rattling and very distinctive in the world at this time, mm. um, which is pretty cool. Okay, so he starts with this critique of different approaches to God um, that he wants to say are inadequate. Um, but he doesn't go straight into really laying out Jesus or the gospel yet. So he's, he starts with his critique, and then the next thing he goes to of explaining Christians is talking about the way they inhabit the world. Mm-hmm. That's his next kind of appeal to Diognetus uh, for what you need to know about Christians and why they're strange and why they're so um, attractive um, to people. And this is in chapter, he, he, it's divided into chapters, but it's really just paragraphs. But in chapter 5 of the epistle, um, you get this, some of the most striking paragraphs, I think, in Christianity up to this point. He writes, For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of mankind, either in locality or in speech or in customs. For they dwell not somewhere in cities of their own, neither do they use some different language, nor practice an extraordinary kind of life. Nor again do they possess any invention discovered by any intelligence or study of ingenious men. Nor are they masters of any human dogma, as some are. But while they dwell in cities of Greeks and barbarians, as the lot of each is cast, and follow the native customs in dress and food, and the other arrangements of life, yet the constitution of their own citizenship, which they set forth, is marvelous and confessedly contradicts expectation. Okay, it's kind of a convoluted sentence, but (laughs) what he's basically saying is, what's distinct about Christians is we are not a national religion, we are not a sectarian religion. We are not a religion that's set, that is primarily focused in one culture or one ethnic group. We are Christians who live in the world, mm-hmm. and we live normal lives. And it's multicultural. It's multinational. It's multi—pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's wanting to make sure you know Christians, in distinction from most other religions and most other practices— is not focused on a cultural or ethnic or societal identity, mm-hmm. but that Christians actually inhabit the world like everybody else. They live normal and, as Paul said, peaceful lives. Yeah, um, which is an important point. The yeah, I mean, in the next piece of this, yeah, thing, which is the big one, it, it just really like so like it's hard sometimes to listen to sort of older people writing languages, run on mm-hmm. sentences, whatever. So, but yeah. so I will, I'll appeal to our listeners. Listen to this. Yes. Because this is stunning. Okay. So the first half there, he's giving you, okay, here's how Christians are, are similar to everyone. This is how we kind of, this is how we, we are part of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Here, the next part, of, the next paragraph is him saying, here's how Christians are utterly distinct. Yeah. Um, and this is, like James saying, is probably one of the greatest paragraphs in the whole thing. He says, quote, Christians dwell in their own countries, 
but only as sojourners. They bear their share in all things as citizens, and they endure all hardships as strangers. Every foreign country is a fatherland to them, and every fatherland is foreign. I love that. They marry like all other men, and they beget children, but they do not cast away their offspring. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. <laughs> it's a <Sorry>. big deal. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like That's radical yeah. at this time. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. Yeah. yeah. They find themselves in the flesh, and yet they live not after the flesh. Their existence is on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, and they surpass the laws in their own lives. They love all men, and they are persecuted by all. They are ignored, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are endured with life, endued with life. They are in beggary, and yet they make many rich. They are in want of all things, and yet they abound in all things. They are dishonored, and yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are evil spoken of, and yet they are vindicated. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they respect. Doing good, they are punished as evildoers. Being punished, they rejoice, as if they were thereby quickened by life. War is waged against them as aliens by the Jews, and persecution is carried out on against them by the Greeks. And yet those that hate them cannot tell the reason of their hostility. That's a beautiful paragraph. Yeah, so you started this talking about the... the, the political, cultural, social climate in our own country and the wrestling that we kind of ongoing have with <clears throat> what it looks like to be distinctly and beautifully Christian within this mm-hmm. uh, this cultural moment for us. And I, 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 here's the thing. It's a Christian man articulating to a not yet Christian man what is true about Christians at a distinctive point in history. Mm-hmm. And the question I can't help but ask when I read that is to go, number one, I go, that's exactly as it should be. But number two, I go, does that describe us? Uh huh. And I think on some points I would go, resoundingly, yes. And then at a lot of, some of them I'd go, I don't know. Yeah. And then it's a mixed bag, right? And then yeah. on some you'd go, maybe even overwhelmingly not. Yeah. So it's a, but it's a, what a vision that would give us. Yes. That, that it might be said of us. The, now, here's the other thing. You can actually go back, as you would know better even than me, like you can go back to writings in this time period and find that this is not out of step with how a lot of uh, non-Christian leaders would describe the Christian community. Mm-hmm. It's actually in line with how many in the world would have said this is how they behave. Mm-hmm. Now, they wouldn't have done so... They would, do, they, they would do so in a sort of curious way. Like, we, we can't stand these people, but it makes no sense that they live this way or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was things that were confounding about the Christians to them. But anyway, yeah. I, uh, man, I, li- I look at that and I go, man, I would long for things to be, yeah. th- these things to accurately describe and, and, and characteristically capture what we're like, what we're about. And I say we, I, look, we can't control every Christian out there and every church out there and whatever. But by God's grace, we have some measure of influence over our little 
yeah. corner here of the of the world, and and we as a people could could strive after something like this. Yes, yes. So I I, I think when you look at the paragraph, just structurally, it's interesting how he starts with like kind of giving you a vision for how Christians see themselves in the land, mm-hmm. in their culture, mm-hmm. right? That they are both in it, not of it. That they are, that everywhere is a home to them because the gospel goes everywhere. Right. But not everywhere they go is also not their home. So right. it's like this, it's this saying, this is our world, but it's, we're not of it. It's, it's just an amazing way to consider. It, do, it doesn't allow to you to check out from the world, mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow you to buy into the world. Well, yeah, and the thing that it kind of commends to us, right, is it, 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 it seems to capture, and I think this is true even theologically, biblically, that there is a significant paradoxical element to the Christian life Absolutely. and to the nature of the gospel. Absolutely. And, and which, which invites us to, or even calls us to sit in a lot of tensions that remain at some level unresolved. Yes. Um, that there's a lot of things that like we, we are pulled to this or that kind of ways mm-hmm. of life. And the Christian life is very often, um, a way in between these ways of life that are kind of like, you know, it's resisting the, the pull towards maybe a dogmatic stance here or a, a, an extreme, you know, way here. And it's, it's, I don't know. I, I feel the tension even as he's writing that Yes. of what it, I can imagine for the Christians in that environment, it, you know, it's not like easily done to do the things he's describing. And so you're constantly sitting there in the, the, the idea of going like, yeah, every place is a home, no place is a home. Yes. Both, you know. Yeah. Uh, and look how that bears out in his practice. So he, he, he says, uh, they bear their share in all things as citizens. So they're like involved as yeah. citizens. They're taking on the responsibility of their yeah. community. They pay taxes, they contribute to the yes. civic life, so forth. Next phrase, and they endure all hardships as strangers. <laughs> so it's like, you you put in and you bear as citizens. I mean, you put in and kind of take on the burdens of what it means to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. But if you get burned by what it means to be a citizen and you endure hardship because of that, you remember, this isn't my home. Yeah. yeah. This isn't my home. So it's like, it's asking you to be a servant for your, for your community mm-hmm. while also realizing that you may not see any of the benefits of that because this is not your true citizenship. Yeah. It's a they're, complete they're selfless act. Yeah, they're ignored, yes. and yet they're condemned. Like, yes. like that idea of like going, they're overlooked, not thought of, like kind of passed over. Yeah. And so, like usually you would think of people who are condemned are people who elicit a very strong response. Those are people who you can't ignore, yes. right? Yes. And so they, they're, they're willing to, to sit in this place of being um, on the underside of, of things while giving their best to those things. Yes. Yes. And you get this, that phrase we've been talking about, every foreign country is a fatherland to them and every fatherland is foreign. I know that in our modern age, this doesn't sound as radical. It is absolutely radical for him to say this, where your fatherland, where you came from, was extremely important for your identity. Mm -hmm. The idea of kind of uh, the centrism of where you came from or your people group was so prevalent here. For him to say this and basically flatten it out mm-hmm. in two ways by saying there's there's not a dominant uh, center basically yeah um, and also uh, all others are places where we can go and 
be like, this is God's place. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a radical thought. It's not that radical to us today, but it's super radical at that time. Yeah, another one that jumps out to me is they have evil spoken of them, and yet they are vindicated or, um, well, I'll just stop on that one. So I think about where we are situated, where Christian doctrine and Christian practice and conviction and, and then just Christians as a community, where we are situated culturally presently is increasingly, um, you know, uh, maligned. And, and I just think about how much we rage against that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we should be gluttons for it, but the idea that, that we have evil spoken of us and yet are vindicated, um, or doing good, they are punished by evil doers. Like, I think it's really important that we see that we're just now in our location and in our generation drifting towards more of that kind of Mm -hmm. experience we're pretty, we're probably not, I think it'd be safe to say we're not nearly as deep into that as these Christians yeah. were. And yet I, I suspect we are far more um, reactive to mm-hmm. it. And, um, and so I think there's, there, there's this challenge for us of going, hey, our brothers and sisters both around the world presently, but then also historically have had the common experience of doing good and yet having evil spoken of them, of of having evil spoken of them and being vindicated um, and and yet not released from the reality of evil spoken of mm-hmm. them. Like, it it shouldn't shock us that the power brokers in our world and the, the, the sort of uh, cultural gatekeepers are, are going to turn on us and that it may not make sense from a logical standpoint, but it does from a spiritual standpoint. And, um, and we have a lot of growth to do as a Christian community in our country for maintaining a, a humble and faithful posture mm-hmm. towards a world that hates us while we do good to the world. Yes, yes, for sure. So there's two things that he points out that are pretty specific when he says that they marry like all their men and they beget children, but they do not cast away their offspring. Mm-hmm. That's talking about the Really, abortion is what mm. that's talking about. And in their context, a lot of times that was, if you had a child, that was a lot of times not male. Mm. Um, Infanticide. Or, or kind of. it was disabled or something. You would just take the baby out to the trash heap, mm-hmm. put the baby on the trash heap, and wolves would eat it. Mm-hmm. Or dogs would eat, eat the child. Um, and Christians from the beginning rejected that not only as something that made them peculiar and stand out in the culture, but because they seriously thought it was violence against God to do that to children. Yeah. We have a, an early document called the Didache um, in, these, in this period, um, which was a kind of a manual for Christians who were going to be baptized, um, that they had to agree to what was written in there. And one of them is, you will not abort your children. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians have held this as a distinctively uh, issue of justice and what it mm-hmm. means to honor God and see the dignity of people mm-hmm. from the beginning of Christianity. Yeah, this always... is distinctive not only to obeying God, but being a distinctive people of God. Yeah, there's always been a radical ethic of life. Yes. The value of the human life because of the yes. Imago Dei. And yeah. Yes. And then he says... They have their meals in common, but not their wives. 
another very big distinctive thing in the Christian world, which was marriage is the place where sexual activity takes place. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, uh, Christians rejected that as biblically uh, faithful mm-hmm. and as something that really uh, characterizes people who do not know God. Mm-hmm. And we so we sort of think of our our culture as you know the sexual generation who's these people it was way worse the sexual perversion in this culture in Rome un, like unspeakable mm-hmm. some of the things going on and so the distinctiveness of this idea that we we do not sleep around and we do not engage in sexual um immorality was super critical to their witness and is what everyone noticed about them. Yeah, and so we've got to maintain, I won't say recover, there are places within the church in America right now that need to recover this. For us, I would say we Mm -hmm. need to maintain and hold fast to the distinctive ethic of life and sexual integrity Mm -hmm. and whatever the culture is going to come at us with, whatever consequences there will be for holding to it, we need to be ready to pay it. Yes. We need to be ready for all the shade that's going to get thrown our way and it's going to get likely worse than what it's been. There will be a price to pay in all likelihood with the trajectory that we're on. There will be a price to pay for holding to biblical sexual ethics Mm -hmm. and biblical ethic of life. And we've got to decide now. Before the heat gets turned up. Yes. That we are going to contend for the truth and and integrity in these areas, and we're going to stay faithful. I mean, I think we're seeing here in the second century, this was a a gospel witness issue. Oh, yeah. This was a gospel witness issue um, for Christians. Uh, the the last kind of behavioral thing in this that I wanted to point out was when he when he this is probably the most convicting phrase of this paragraph for me. He says they obey the established laws and they surpass the laws in their own lives. <laughs> so he goes beyond just saying submit and obey to government, but actually Christians need to be the model citizens for what it means mm-hmm. in the areas of obedience obedience and submission to authorities. Mm-hmm. They, that needs to be distinctive about them. That is, like, he's not just teaching that. He's saying that's, that's who we are, and that's yeah. what you're noticing, Diognetus, yeah. is the way in which we, we surpass people in the integrity to follow and be good citizens in the area of submitting to our rulers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super distinctive, and that's, like, completely, like, that's Americans knee-jerk to that sort of thing, you know? That, yeah, for sure. We were, we were founded, like, in a way that rejects that kind of idea. But um, the, the, the Protestant instinct runs deep in us. But so think about this. So think about those three things, just practically, um, in terms of the sanctity of life and sexuality and the, uh, the kind of obedience and submission to leaders in the law. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's, in the second century, we have some writings from people, uh, particularly really educated people, who want to... Uh, criticize Christianity, who are writing basically apologetics against Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named Celsus who did this and another guy that we have their writings where they're critiquing Christianity. And yet, as James was talking about earlier, like non-believers noticed these behavioral aspects even when they disagreed with them and thought they were ridiculously superstitious and wicked in their theology. So one uh, guy, I forget his name, it was either Celsus or another guy, but he's writing against the Christians. Even so doing, 
he writes in his letter, here's the things that I notice about Christians that I admire. He says, quote, I admire their, uh, their uh, kind of moderation in sex, food, and drink, their courage in the face of death, and their keen pursuit of justice. That's what he said. Hmm. This is a guy writing a tract against Christians, thinking mm-hmm. they're ridiculous. Yep. But that's what he said. These, that's what characterizes those people. And right. I can't but admire that. Mm-hmm. This stuff really matters. Yeah. <laughs> it really matters. So it reminds me of the, uh, you know, the uh, Leslie Newbigin, mm-hmm. who's a missiologist, who said he's the one who's kind of credited with that idea that the, um, the, the, the church or the people of God the community of faith is the best hermeneutic of the gospel. Yeah. Right. That yeah. the, the testimony of our shared life are, it, it, you said at the beginning that they were incredibly evangelistic. It was what you were Extremely. talking about. What you'll notice when you read the description or, or listen to the description in this letter to Diognetus is there's nothing about their proclamation of the truth. Not at this point. No. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't proclaim the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we should not boldly, testify to the gospel, we should. But the idea of New Begin, what he's talking about here, is that the integrity of, the distinctiveness of, the quality of, the beauty of, the life of Christians in this climate was itself proclamational. Yes. And it was observable. It was it was very different then. It shouted yes. something. Yes. And I think that's still the challenge of our day that we could, and you know, with the loudest voice mm-hmm. and uh, a, a great boldness, and even you know the the even a lot of intellectual power. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and and with real intellectual precision, mm-hmm. and 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 all those things, and we could be really responsible in the yeah. way that we declare the truth of the gospel. The, the, the claims of Christ and of uh, the scriptures, but if our lives do not embody that, reinforce that, live up to that in some way, if, if we, those, that will undermine the credibility of our witness. And so I don't know that I would say that you lead with the one and the other follows. The, the absolute essentialness of both what the we always talk about, truth and beauty, mm-hmm. orthodoxy of doctrine, orthodoxy of community, these things really, really is significant. And I'm not, again, never wanting to dilute the truth in any way, but I would, I would love to see a kind of uh, Christian evangelistic um, uh, fruitfulness <laughs> that would that would come out of our lives uh, in our generation, yes. like just see a recovery of that. So you 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 said a second ago, you know, you're not. There's a lot of appeal to the relational beauty yeah. and the witness of the community here of Christians mm-hmm. that is doing some of the bulk of the apologetic here, the evangelism. That we had, there's another writer in the second century, probably my favorite. His name's Athenagoras. And he was a Christian, he was a philosopher who tried to argue against Christianity and then was converted by mm-hmm. reading stuff on Christianity. Okay. And um, he's very talented, extremely, like he's a big dog in terms of philosophy. And he, uh, 
he writes this apologetic to the emperors of Rome, Marcus Aurelius and his son Commodus. Mm. You know those names from, <laughs> let me guess. I've never, what? I've never even heard of those names. All right, we're talking about the movie You're imagining Joaquin Phoenix right now. (laughs) (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix. I was actually thinking of uh, Russell Crowe. But but so Athenagoras writes to the real historical figures who were the emperors Mm -hmm. um, at that time, appealing to them about Christianity, wanting them to to take it seriously. And he writes in that letter, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of Christians out there who can't say any of the things I'm saying. They don't, they can't read, they don't, have any arguments but the way they're living amongst each other is changing your world mm. they are the appeal to the world right of what the gospel does of what Christ has done yeah and um, he was right that's yeah. what changed the the Roman, the Roman world to mm-hmm. a pagan world yeah to a, a, a organically Christian influenced world right um, so we have to we have to we have to accept and I think embrace this truth that evangelism cannot be reduced to the proclamation of truth. Mm-hmm. Neither can evangelism be reduced to the um, embodiment of Christian beauty mm-hmm. and, and distinctive witness. Need words. That, right? You've got to have both. Yes. You need truth proclaimed and you need truth embodied. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's really important that our lives are in, ways matching up with the uh, the truth that we hold to and and that we on the whole as a community are living in distinctively kingdom oriented ways within the kingdoms of this world mm-hmm. yeah okay so we've we've made it through kind of his build-up and some of his apologetic t- from this he starts with the the critique of ways of approaching God or ways to think about God through polytheism now he's giving you this behavioral kind of here's the reason why the Christians are here's how the Christians are interacting in the world, and um, he hasn't gotten to really the gospel message yet. No, and he does, and so we'll have to break off here, right? Yes. And uh, he gets to propositional truth, and I he think this is maybe this is something I think we should at least think about. Yeah, I think that what we've done in a lot of cases in our climate is we've led with truth. Um, and maybe then tried to follow with beauty and lives mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, morality and the, the, the yeah. integrity of the Christian life and community. What the first century Christians seemed to do primarily is they led with their distinctiveness. And it's that whole idea of like, they lived in such a way that it provoked the curiosity of the confounding of the, the sort of like, what is going on there? Mm-hmm. Why is why are they doing this? There was a way that it just sort of arrested the attention yes. of a pagan world. And that gave them audience to then yes. share the truth. Yes. So so the the disciple here writing to Diagonetus has ex- explained what Christians are and how they're inhabiting the world mm-hmm. and what's distinctive about them. Yeah. Uh, next week we'll look at he's gonna give us why Christians are the way they are. Yes. Through the message of the gospel. Yeah. Which and I, cool. I'll, I'll say this just as a little bit of a tease. It was so encouraging to read this. Yes. I love it. It's a beautiful, I mean, and it's beautiful. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot here for us to, to, to press into mm-hmm. uh, next week. So y'all come back next week and we'll look at that other part yeah. of truth. A little Thanksgiving with the disciple and Diognetus. Yes.
Y'all have a good week. See ya.